Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Jonathan Van Valen, who during his near-death experience had two life-altering revelations, which we're going to learn about today. Jonathan, thank you for joining me and welcome. Thank you so much, Jeff. Glad to be here. All right. If you don't mind, let's just start on the day your NDE happened and go sure. from there. All right. Uh, on that day, that day found me uh, convalescing from a surgery. Uh, I, had, I was 29 years old. Uh, I, my folks had, uh, my father in particular, had decided he wanted to watch over this situation personally. So I'd been hauled out to the the family uh, uh, farmhouse, actually, out in the middle of uh, the eastern Washington farmland, uh, two hours east of Seattle. And uh, I had been there for probably three three days, which would put me a week after the surgery. I'd spent four days in the hospital, three days uh, under his watchful uh, eye. And uh, the, the surgery was something that involved removing, it was for a sleep apnea issue, uh, and uh, it involved removing an enormous amount of tissue from the back of my throat and some other tissues and related. And um, it's it's a surgery that's known for having a exceptionally painful recovery. And the one of the analogies given was that it was like it was going to be like breaking your leg and then having to walk on it. <laughs> and that was very prescient. That was it was it was indeed it was absolutely mind-bending blackout level pain on a sort of constant basis. Um, the reasons for that being that this is in an area of your body that's very, very nerve rich and you have to continue to use them to breathe and to swallow and things like that. Um, the, uh, the NDE was, uh, so this was not some sort of operating table near death experience. And, and in, in that, uh, uh, and as such, it, it actually lasted considerably longer. This was something that went on for well over 24 hours, almost 36 hours. Um, on that day, um, I had been, again, you know, doing next to nothing sort of uh, on he heavy-duty pain medication um, and kind of had spent three days staring into a corner and not doing much. And uh, in, a, in a, a moment of extreme extremely startling clarity, which uh, is a point I'm going to return to, um, there was simply an inner click within. It would, that's, that's the best way I can describe it. Um, there was this, this felt sensation and this awareness of this inner click in which it became instantly obvious that the simply the animating life force in me had just begun to uh, flow out, that it was ebbing, that it was, that it was waning, um, and that my body was in fact beginning to die. Um, uh, which, which was also, and we'll get back to this as well, but was actually <laughs> medically confirmed the following day, the following afternoon. Um, but there were two particularly extraordinary things that happened 
simultaneously with the awareness of that uh, life force beginning to, to fade away. The first was the instant recognition that I was not my body. Uh, that was not a notion that had ever occurred to me, certainly not the way it did in that, that moment. Um, and what that conferred was the, uh, there was all of a sudden there was this sort of split in awareness. There was, I was aware of my body, but it was clear to me that what was aware of my body, the me part was not my body. And in that moment, in that, that that time that was uh, an immediate freedom of of stunning proportions because what it meant was that the pain that was in that body wasn't me either um in fact nothing associated with that body uh could impact impugn um or, or, or affect in any way this alive beingness, this consciousness, this observer consciousness, this witness, sometimes people call it. Um, and so in, in being able to experience that sense of uh, being that witness and simply observing the body, everything associated with that body could be essentially let go of. Um, it was the first time, and not by any means was it the last, that I got to see the difference between pain and suffering, because I could identify that there was enormous pain in that body, but I didn't have to suffer it. It wasn't me. Um, and, and of course, I mean, anyone that hears that could imagine that that might be, you know, if, if you're having that direct experience all of a sudden, that could be extraordinarily freeing. Um, and not just freeing from pain, but freeing from any of the any of the hijinks of the, of, that the body could go through in any way. So that was the, that was the first uh, awareness that flooded in immediately. And, um, but then, and then came a second that followed on it that was, that was frankly even more remarkable to me. It was more extraordinary. And it, it, I, I say it blew me away. And I mean that not only metaphorically, but I mean it very literally. <laughs> because... The, the awareness that flooded in on the heels of that was that even this, this individuated but non-corporeal sense of me, this witness, even that, um, the, the experience was simply that that sense of individuated uh, self was beginning to dissolve. It was beginning to lose its individuality. In fact, it was beginning to melt into this, uh, this overwhelming vastness that is the sort of thing that can become very, very difficult to put into words. But um, that individuated sense of self was dissolving into this, this vastness, this wholeness. This, it was losing its individuality, yes, but that wasn't experienced as a loss because it was dissolving into this overwhelming wholeness, this allness in which there's nothing missing because it's whole, it's all. And so there's no sense, there was no sense of loss in it. Um, in fact, it's quite the opposite. Um, it, it reveals itself then to be a freedom, even from that sense of individuatedness, 
even if that individuatedness was not already not connected to a body, even though that pain hadn't disappeared, it was rendered irrelevant. Um, and that there was nothing about this experience of the pain in that body or the fact that that body was dying that, uh, that elicited any concern in any way whatsoever. <laughs> the body was sort of rendered to be this neutral clay that was virtually, virtually irrelevant. Um, and, uh, and when, uh, you know, accompanying with this, this experience of, of merging into this ineffable wholeness, this allness, this oneness, um, well, if it's all, then it's missing nothing. And if there's nothing missing and, you know, pain is rendered irrelevant and there's, there's no sense of lack in that. There's no sense of need in that. And the bottom line is that there couldn't possibly be any kind of fear that arises in it. There's, there's, how could there be? <laughs> and so, so the, the only default natural setting then was uh, to be flooded with a sense of just tremendous peace. Um, and there, there couldn't possibly be anything that seemed wrong about that. <laughs> so it, 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 in the moments that I began to experience that the body was dying, the entire experience of this, this surgical adventure and the recovery and all of that, which had, you know, up to that point for, for days had been really absolute hell. I mean, in the, in the, in the, the most obvious way people can think of hell, it was hell. But in the moments that my body began to die, that flipped completely. Um, and it, it was no longer an experience of that. It was released entirely from it. Um, it was also something that I, so I, I, I was, uh, I also couldn't possibly imagine how to put it, any of it into words at that moment. Um, I could not possibly imagine, first of all, it, it, at that particular time, on that particular day, I was still barely capable of speaking. Uh, that's just the nature of that kind of recovery. Um, and so my, my father was sort of in and out of the house all day long, kind of watching over me and running around doing chores on this house and this piece of land that it was on. And, and uh, he was doing a wonderful job doing what he was doing. Um, but one of the funny outcomes of it was that I couldn't imagine how to express what I was experiencing to him. I couldn't possibly explain that my, myself and my body were two different things, for instance. Uh, um, and uh, it, it really never even occurred to me uh, in those moments to try to explain that I was dying. Um, it, didn't, it didn't seem relevant to me. It, it wasn't even particularly meaningful to me. Um, the, the merging into that infinite vastness, you know, was an experience of such, such staggering beauty and overwhelming peace um, that uh, not only could I not fathom how to put it into words, um, I, I, I couldn't imagine wanting to stop it. Um, and uh, 
And I, I just couldn't imagine trying to explain why it was a bad thing, you know, or why, why it should be stopped. Um, I did see my father throughout the day and I just felt overwhelming peacefulness. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, he since passed away too in a, in a sort of epilogue to my own story that, that maybe we'll talk about it another time. But so I, I don't have the opportunity of asking him directly what he saw on that day. Um, but I knew that I was utterly filled with a quiet joy that I found inexpressible. Um, and that's pretty much how I spent my day. Um, the, uh, you know, eventually, the, <laughs> under the, the circumstances as they were, doing something like having an ordinary night's sleep had been nearly impossible. Um, and uh, one of the outcomes of all this was by having been essentially freed from the effects of the pain and all of that sort of thing, um, I could recognize so easily my body really was tired. Um, and uh, I thought, wow, I could probably just go to sleep and actually sleep. And so, yeah, having been released from so much of that suffering, um, eventually that's what I did. Um, and I, I would wake up periodically. And every time I woke up, I would sort of check in with this experience. And it was, you know, seeing every time I checked in, like, is, am I, is my body still dying? Yes. Uh, is that merging into the infinite uh, happening more and more? Like as every, as every molecule of life force leaves, there's this growing sense of merging into the infinite. And yes, those are, those are, those are continuing along their way. In fact, they're even slightly speeding up. Um, and, it's, and it's marvelous and it's beautiful and it's stunning. Um, and uh, so I, I woke the following morning and it just, with a simply more advanced case of the same thing. Um, and as I woke that following morning, I, I also did have um, the, I'm not really sure where exactly this took place, but um, a couple of other things, sort of insights arrived along the way, which was one of them was um, that dying itself is, is, is as easy as walking over the front door threshold. I mean, it's, it, I'd say it's easy as falling off a log, but it's even easier than that. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's just, what was, one of the things that was, you know, in retrospect kind of startling was that it appeared to me uh, that I had a simple choice in it. Um, I could choose either way. I could choose to step through that doorway and walk straight over that threshold in a manner that would take no effort in any way on my part um, into what would essentially presents itself as the most beatific experience I could possibly have conceived of. Um, and, but I didn't have to make that choice. It was up to me. Um, and uh, by the time I, I got around to that next morning, there was just this, this sort of growing feeling within that I wasn't, I was like, I think, yeah, I think I'm going to not, I'm probably not going to step through that doorway. I just feel like, you know, I'm just not quite done here yet. <laughs> um, none of this is mentioned still to my father. Um, and, uh, and so it, it actually came as 
was a little bit of a surprise when in the middle of the following day, he comes in in the house and, and has a look at me. And I just, I just watch his face and it sort of kind of purses his eyes and looks at me closely and just says, Jonathan, I, I think something's not right. And uh, I, think, I think we're going to load up the car and head back to the hospital. <laughs> and inwardly, I thought, well, you're right in a way. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, everything is right. Everything's fine. Um, but I know what you mean. I know what you're saying. And, uh, and I'll go. I'm on board. Uh, I can see that the cessation of, of the life force, that the dying body, um, it's, it's speeding up. But there is still time. You know, probably, I probably wouldn't actually die for another 24, 36 hours, something like that. There's plenty of time to do something about this if we, if we want to. Um, and again, none of this is actually outwardly mentioned to him, but I just sort of nod my assent and say, all right, we'll go. And, uh, and I'm not in a hurry. I just fritter around and gather whatever things it takes me. For, I'm just not in a hurry at all. Um, but eventually we get our act together and we, we go on this two hour drive. And, um, and I'm in, you know, I'm in a fabulous mood. Uh, I, again, I can barely speak, um, but I'm trying to, you know, eke out a whispered joke or two to see if I can get my dad to laugh. Uh, just because it seems, it seems fun and charming. Um, and, and in that state of affairs in which it's overwhelmingly peaceful, um, there's just no reason not to be uh, <laughs> in a good mood. And... Uh, and it doesn't matter that the body's in horrendous pain and that it's dying. Um, we eventually get to the ER and uh, quickly upon admittance, um, the docs do in fact confirm that my body is dying and it's dying for the dumbest reason on the planet, uh, which is dehydration. Um, and you know, I like like I said, I was I was in the hospital for four days. I'd been released into my father's care. Um, there's a way. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't need to overtell the story or cast aspersions on, uh, on on others too much. But there's sometimes just healthcare in America. You know, sometimes things fall through the cracks. And why they kicked me out of the hospital when they did into my father's care, I I, I have no idea. It was clearly absurd. Uh, on, a, on a certain level, but sometimes that's healthcare in America. And um, because I was incapable of essentially eating or drinking, and it's sort of, you know, no one was worried about food because we can all go a surprisingly long time without that. But, um, but, uh, but we all also know that it's, you know, dehydration is a real thing and that, that creeps up one heck of a lot faster. And, my body was dying from dehydration, absurd, but true. Um, so the fix was obviously very simple as well. They hooked me to an IV and dump a, a liter or two of saline solution into my body. And, and instantly upon the attachment of that IV, um, I have this visceral experience of this entire process very gently reversing. I can immediately feel that life force. You know, For the last 36 hours, it was like watching the mercury re recede in a thermometer, which had been kind of fascinating, frankly. And as soon as that, that IV was hooked up, that, that mercury began to rise. That life force began to flow in. Um, and that merging with the infinite 
uh, began to reverse as well. Um, and one of the things that's difficult to explain is how, how one could be presented with uh, the most overwhelming piece and in a sense, simply choose against it and say, no, nah, I don't want that. I'm going to go back to regular life. Um, and even though that was a clear choice on my part, and it's one that um, just, you know, I don't really know how to put it into words. It just sort of felt karmically warranted. I really don't know how else to put it. It just felt like that was the right choice. Um, and I was really on board with it. And so as that life force flowed in, I was content. And I was, I knew that that was, uh, that was that choice coming into being. And, and I was, I was good with that. Um, uh, I didn't, I wasn't there long. We were in the ER for only a matter of hours. They pumped me full of fluids and I, it was an unbelievable transformation. The pain levels came down remarkably. It turned out being dehydrated is, um, uh, causes those, you know, causes the entire system not to work very well, um, which means everything is worse. <laughs> and so it was remarkable uh, reviving. Um, pain levels came down. It felt like the healing ramped up immediately within. Uh, so we were back in the car driving back to the farmhouse um, that evening, later that evening. And, and as we drove, um, I couldn't help reflecting on the whole thing and uh, saying to myself, I'm actually do, I am glad to be here. I do, I don't even know what they are in some cases, but I feel like there are things that need, that I do want to do, even if I don't know what they are right now. Um, and, uh, and of course my father is, he's experiencing a tremendous sense of relief because he's now realized that he brought me to the hospital dying <laughs> and, and that that's been solved. Um, and uh, that recovery just, quadrupled in no time so over the next few days again pain comes down um i begin to be able to to swallow and to function and to speak um and um you know from there on out it was just sort of a rocket ship back to recovery um i think i was i was at the at the farmhouse for a total of three weeks and and by the time that was done i was healed up and i, I returned to regular life and the 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 epilogue i'd put on this at the moment is simply that um as i returned to regular life and i went back to my regular workaday world um uh what was most remarkable to me uh was the degree to which i could not fathom how to square these experiences with returning to regular life. And in fact, my, my response to it ultimately at the time was to essentially bury them um, and almost forget about them. I mean, they're unforgettable, but it, it was sort of like I looked back on them as if they were a dream. And like a dream, they could be sort of pushed aside as, as nothing. It was just a dream. Um, it, it wasn't a dream. It was a very direct, real experience, but that's how I treated it. And um, what I couldn't possibly have fathomed then was how over the next decade, there would be a, a series of, of other life experiences that kept calling back these, these experiences that I've just shared in ways that made them increasingly 
impossible to ignore. Um, and in fact, um, uh, in the final analysis, th these were sort of these initial experiences ended up being uh, among the early doorways that it turns out I'd gone through that opened up into a world of, uh, of experiences that eventually over time absolutely and radically changed how I look upon the world and experience it and perceive it. Um, and uh, in ways that, that are probably a whole nother conversation. Um, and uh, and so I, I guess I guess to to put a tie a bow on that little epilogue, it was it took many many years of marinating and of additional life experience for me to really um, resonate in the truth of what I'd experienced. But over time, that resonance did occur and did come through, and uh, uh, has been an important part. But in the end only a part of what's become a, a range of, of, uh, of experiences that uh, have utterly transformed how I see and operate in the world. At any point during that experience, before you went back to the hospital, did your consciousness separate from your body? Um, well, I mean, that's a, that's a very interesting question um, because in describing that I could see that I was not my body, you could say that there is a sense of that separation right there. Um, I, I think that the distinction I would make, Jeff, is that um, what I was recognizing the body to be in that case was, or let me rephrase that. The recognition was that the, the, um, that the body was itself, on one hand, a, a neutral clay of minor importance, but, um, but also it didn't really have, it wasn't really the seat of, of <laughs> this is a big phrase, but it, it wasn't really the seat of, of reality in the deepest sense. And so it wasn't, and the reason I'm drawing this distinction is that it, when someone says, well, did you separate from your body? It's sort of like we're equating these things as um, like the body is a real thing and this non-corporeal experience is a real thing and they can be experienced as, as two different, um, a, a, a different locus of, of the sense of self. And it, the way I would describe it is that it was a seeing that that bodily um, form um, not only was not the deepest uh, seat of self, um, but it is itself lacking. It, it is itself a dream. It is an illusion. It is. It is not. It is. It is lacking in its own reality. So to and if you're separating for something that doesn't even have reality, then you weren't really there to begin with. It's just it's being revealed to have been the sort of illusory um, figment that it's always been. Um, and and as such is is rendered irrelevant, um, and and that's kind of a subtle distinction. I, I hope I said that. 
uh, clearly. I think what you're saying is that you came to the realization that your body is an illusion anyways. Yes. And we talk about that sometimes on the podcast, that the body is a manifestation of consciousness. It's a pretty good way of putting it. You mentioned that you were merging and what you saw was beautiful. Yes. I was also wondering if you had separated or at least possibly bilocated your consciousness because it sounds like you went somewhere and you were merging right. with it. Can you add to that as well as tell us what you saw? I'll try. Um, it's the, you know, the, the only language that we have is the language of perception. Like I saw, I heard, I felt, um, and, um, and those, you know, the perceptual framework does tend to just simply be inadequate. I mean, right off the bat. So to say I felt and saw it, it they're, they're, they're approximations of the real direct experience, but at, they're not necessarily always even good approximations. <laughs> um, you know, it's, for instance, it's, it's completely impossible to actually locate this experience in space. I mean, that's, that's not probably hard for many, many people who would be listening to this to understand. Um, so to say I went somewhere is already, um, it's, um, it's an evocative turn of phrase that, get kind of gets somewhat at the truth of it but not very well <laughs> um um it's like i just described about that that sense of self uh revealing the body to be kind of an illusion um in the same way you could say that the non-corporeal witness sense of self the one that seemed initially to be observing that body um, still feels, you know, in that moment, it still felt initially like that's a, it's a separate self that's observing that illusory body. It's just a non-corporeal self. So it's like the boundaries of that self have gotten bigger, but it's still an individuated um, sense of sense of being. And in that, that merging is was the experience of that individuated but non-corporeal sense of being losing its individuality. So where was it going? Well, how could, how could one possibly say it was a place? Um, um, only an, an individuated self can feel itself in an individual place. <laughs> and this is, this is why sometimes, you know, our just our ordinary language simply breaks down. Um, it's a very dualistic framework and, and merging into that infinite is, you know, ultimately a, a non-dual experience. And so to locate it in space is impossible. Um, it, the, what's beautiful though, and what remains accessible, and I, I believe this remains accessible to absolutely every one of us is that even though it's difficult for language and our minds to wrap themselves around these things in a, in a linear and logical fashion, um, it's essentially impossible, I think, but that doesn't change the fact that these things can be directly experienced. Um, and, and one of the things that appeared to be so at that time was that, that you know, eventually this is an experience that is going to find every seemingly separated being 
ever like it sort of it was sort of the sense that like nobody can avoid the truth forever nobody <laughs> everyone's going to come around to something like this eventually um and they too will end up with some kind of experience that shows them that they were not the body that they were actually something entirely um beyond that limitation and not only are they beyond that bodily limitation but even the individuated sense of being that um, they are that is also a limitation that will eventually dissolve as well and and if that individuated separateness dissolved, then what, where, what, what could it dissolve into other than um, that which is uh, overwhelmingly all? Um, it, it begins so to be so difficult to to wrap words around it, which is why I think sometimes we default to the best we have, which is like oneness and beingness. And sometimes, like, do we have a better word in our language than God? for something that is overwhelmingly all and all encompassing and grounded in, you know, in a way that is utterly without fear and therefore defaults naturally to something that's loving. I, I can't, I mean, I, I don't know uh, where language, where our language can take us other than to, to, to poetry and to, to words like the divine. Um, and I still haven't answered your question. And I, I, I do understand that. What did I see? Um, it was it was not so much a seeing perception. It was an overwhelming awareness, an overwhelming knowingness. Um, and in that overwhelming awareness and that overwhelming knowingness, um, it was possible for me to sort of project um, absolutely any form of what um, I. Uh, like visually, I could project in any form that I could imagine what what was loving and was whole. And for and for me, like I imagine could be for a lot of people, one of the forms that that took um, was um, an awareness of all the people that I've ever loved or that have ever loved me. Um, but I, I, it's also easy for me to to recognize that. That was, that was a perceptual projection on my part that was symbolic of this overwhelming love and overwhelming wholeness that actually encompasses everything. It's just, that was one way that I could understand it. Um, but it was, that's a, it was a metaphoric projection on my part that was symbolic of this overwhelming wholeness that encompasses all. Um, so uh, that's, that's a very, you know, it's a very rich question that you asked. <laughs> I hope I could do it justice. When you came to the realization that you were not your body and that your body was feeling pain, not yes. you. Correct. Did it lessen the pain at all, even though um, your body was feeling pain? It lessened the suffering. The, the pain in the body didn't change at all. It, the body was racked with all kinds of of, you know, it was a mess, but it rendered that pain uh, irrelevant. Was it gone? No. But was I suffering from it? No. It was, it was sort of like, um, it, it just, it, it no longer had meaningful effect. Um, I could, I could see it. I could identify. I wasn't, I wasn't ignoring it. 
Uh, it was a full acknowledgement of its real of, of reality. <laughs> That's a tricky word here, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it, it was an acknowledgement of it being an experiencing in in this in this body, very fully acknowledging that. But it was equally acknowledging that body was not me, and did not have real effect on the beingness that was the core of my own being uh, and and as such it just rendered as it um not relevant and and therefore without real effect i hope that makes sense it is a bit of a subtle distinction before this surgery happened were you a spiritual person at all i was not um i um well very privately, I was, you know, I, I had a pretty much right from the jump. Um, I was a, I was a person that uh, did question my surroundings and was always, you know, questioning what's, why do we do it this way? And what's really true about this and that sort of thing, you know, a, a questioner and in a way had a very seeking mindset, but I would never, ever have said to someone, oh, I'm, I'm definitely a spiritual dude or you know, I identify as a spiritual seeker. Um, I, uh, that was, that was a, that was a powerful part of my personality, frankly, but it was something that was very inward, never spoken about, not, you know, you wouldn't have, you, you never would have seen me walking down the street and thought, oh, that guy's a spiritual guy. <laughs> um, and it's part of the transformation that I, I alluded to earlier in that um, at this stage of my young life um that that seeking took on an urgency that grew uh, over the the next many years to something that became absolutely ferocious um and came with it uh, just a range of experiences after experiences that um kind of uh frankly forced my mind to open even more um and uh to this you know at this point um the kinds of experiences that i'm sure many people that have come on your show and many people that watch your show are familiar with at the time this took place for me i was not familiar with any of those things if someone had described those kinds of things to me i i would have i would have inwardly scoffed um but over the next uh, bunch of years those kinds of experiences I don't mean, I kind of hesitate to like check off a list for you or something, but uh, it's most of them in some form or another um, came with a, a clarity and a frequency that, you know, there comes a point where you just have to concede, wow, I, the world really doesn't work the way I thought it did. Um, the limitations that I thought this world contained are not the limitations that I, I thought um and i i had to have my mind sort of forcibly cracked open to that over and over <laughs> at this point i find myself in a position where um now uh, i'm really very charmed by this um i'm often a person that other folks who've had those experiences but are struggling with them because they don't know what to do with them or where to put them or how to understand them uh, often now come to me and uh, and it's an absolute joy uh, when that that happens uh, simply because 
at this point, there is, <laughs> I, I have yet to encounter someone that's come to me in that way it, to which I couldn't relate directly um, out of my own experience. And so it's, it's a joy to be able to share that with them. Did you develop or recognize that you had new abilities after your experience that you didn't have prior? Well, in the case of the NDE, no. Um, the, it, it was many, many, a lot of years and a lot of other experiences had to come down the pike first. <laughs> um, and then about 11 or 12 years, I mean, 11 or 12 years had passed. Um, and I went through another series of, of, uh, of remarkable, to me, remarkable uh, experiences that, that actually um, sort of almost transcend and, and, and um, they, they sort of, I guess I would say at this point, they, they sort of solidified those awarenesses that first appeared during that NDE. Um, and, um, and it, it was sort of subsequent to that settling in that there, there did arise that. And, and that, that was a whole nother period of adjustment for me actually, because it was quite, quite a, quite a change in direction. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, what, what, what arose is, uh, I find it even more awkward to talk about, frankly. Um, <laughs> but I, I began to see people have healing experiences, um, and I had to sort of grapple with that. Um, uh, there, so uh, there, there came a point. Where, this is a whole other story. I don't know if we're going to be like wandering off topic in a way, but um, to me, it might be a whole other conversation. But um, one of the things I mentioned at the heart of that NDE experience was this, this, the merging into the infinite, what that, what that really, what's at the core of that is that the individuated sense of self I thought myself to be proved to be essentially false. Like that was a false construct. It was a, it was actually, it, 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 it took many years to be able to put this into words, but, um, that that sense of individuated self um, was sort of a constructed amalgam of thought forms. It, it's basically uh, that confers the sense of self, but when you pick that apart, it, it turns out not to be true. Um, and this, uh, there's this whole additional range of experiences that I'm talking about. Um, was was aimed squarely at that and there came a point in the journey in which that sense of an individuated sense of self even operating here in the regular world um just seemed to be have permanently dissolved um it's and um and that that sense of that overarching oneness then is 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 naturally at hand as the as the default then and there came a point where that just felt like it settled in permanently and that was the biggest shift that i've ever gone through um and uh 
that took place roughly 12 years after having an NDE. And it, from that point forward, the way I perceived and experienced the world was radically transformed. Um, it was an extraordinarily gentle transition. Um, and again, there was this, if that sense of individuatedness is, is absent, then, then there's no sense of separation. If there's no sense of separation, then the, the experience is that everything is whole. And if everything is whole, it's very complete. If it's very complete, it's not missing anything. If it's not missing anything, there can't be any sense of lack or any sense of need or want. And, and without those things, then there really can't be any sense of fear. Um, there also, um, without any sense of fear, like the most natural basic response then is just one of peacefulness. And out of that peace, it's overwhelmingly natural to be gentle, kind, forgiving, <laughs> loving, that sort of thing. Um, and um, it could also make it seem as though nothing needs to be done. Everything's fine, that sort of thing. And th th this was, <laughs> this was a, this was a wild transformation for me. At the time, I was running a small company with a business partner. And on the days when I would get up and feel overwhelmed by peace, I might very literally think, this is sort of before this clicked in in a sort of seemingly permanent way. There was a, it was a series of years where it would sort of wave in and out, <laughs> which was very jarring to me. You know, and I'd, I'd wake up some mornings and I'd feel this overwhelming peace. Um, and I'd sit in the chair in the window in my home and I'd think, I just can't think of any reason to go to the office today at all. <laughs> and, uh, and at some point then I might think, well, you know, my business partner's there. I'll, I'll go. Otherwise he'll get up, you know, he'll get, he'll get worried. Um, and sometimes the pendulum would swing the other way and I would be, in a funny, like a state of panic, like, what am I doing? Am I going nuts? This is insane. Of course, I'm going to the office. I have a mortgage. This is nuts. You know, and it would swing the other way into this, this fear about what on earth is this happening? And it felt like a breakdown. Um, it was a breakdown in many respects. Um, and it got to the point where I just felt like I could barely even function. Um, and it eventually it got to the point where I did something that you sort of read about in, you know, spiritual texts and things like that. And I ditched everything, Jeff. I walked away from life entirely. I sold the business. I sold my car. I said goodbye to the lovely girlfriend. I gave the keys to my home to someone I barely knew. And I disappeared. And I just left um, and disappeared on a sort of self-directed silent retreat for months. Um, and uh, I, uh, and it was during that period of time that there was a sort of curious sort of final doorway that was walked through, which was the point in which that 
that individuated sense of self, which had been sort of wavering in and out for a, a number of years in a way that had been driving me very crazy, uh, or just it had this tension to it that just I wanted it resolved so badly so that the search to get it resolved had ramped up to this just just overwhelming ferocity um, on this. In, again, nobody around me knows this. This is all entirely interiorly kept. I'm not there are, I have no teachers. I'm not, you know, I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but it was my nature not really to say much about it, which is one of the reasons it's surprising that you and I are talking at all right now. <laughs> um, but uh, during that, that retreat, it was, I mean, I had sort of essentially said to myself, I will, I will resolve this or I will die trying. And it, it sounds a little overdramatic to say it that way, but that was the level of ferocity that it had reached. And I was willing to put um, living under a freeway overpass on the line to resolve it. Um, I'm, and I'm glad to say, I'm, I feel um, honored to be able to say, I don't live under a freeway overpass today, but I was willing to put that on the table at the time. <laughs> so are you saying you basically became homeless at the time? Uh, I left. Uh, what I did was um, uh, I um, um, I actually left to uh, put, I, I put myself in a tiny little village in the western highlands of Guatemala because I thought that was um, that would be a good place to sit silently and sort through it, and which is what I did for months and months. Um, um, so I guess I wasn't homeless. I had my little place, but I was living at a level that was so spectacularly cheap um, that it, I could sustain it for a long time. Um, I eventually came home from that. Um, and, but before I did, there had been this sort of final doorway in which that, that sense of that lack of individuated sense of self did settle in in a way that was absolutely just unquestionably permanent. Um, and uh, and that that just that that altered the way I walked around in the world to such a degree that I spent the next bunch of years sort of getting used to it. Actually, <laughs> in fact, I came eventually. I came back to Seattle, um, and uh, uh, I was nearly. It's just such a wild thing to to, to say, but I came back to Seattle and almost didn't talk at all for over a year, which is a strange way to be an adult. Um, but in the same way that the, the, the ineffable allness of that merging into the infinite from years before during an NDE, I experienced overwhelmingly as something that the only vessel that could hold the, the awesomeness of that was silence at the time, like no words could encapsulate it. I certainly couldn't figure out how to put it into words or to explain it. And in fact, to try to put it into words just felt like it just couldn't possibly do it justice. So silence felt like the best vessel for holding it. And as I returned from this, this period of retreat, that's the state of mind I was in. Um, uh, I kind of felt like I lost the ability to even have a sort of casual conversation. It was, there was no draw to it. There was no importance to it. I couldn't. Um, and so I was just silent. Um, 
nearly. I mean, there, you know, it, it, it is, if you're going to be a functioning human at all, you know, might as well say thank you when you're at the grocery store. Um, or, you know, there was a few other related things, but it was an extremely quiet year. That's all I really mean to say. Um, and in, in fact, I, I really wasn't functioning under the normal, uh, in the normal ways that I had used to be functioning. Um, and I eventually just dropped it all. And I actually just grabbed my backpack and wandered the globe for, for months, um, almost two years, actually. So do you think during all of this, yeah. and what I mean is that the years that passed as well as going to Guatemala and wandering the globe, you're still processing this initial NDE? Um, I think that that initial NDE opened the doorway, or it was one of the openings of the doorway. I, I mean, I can identify others as well um, that that opened the the doorway. And by what I by doorway, what I I could be more specific and say opened my mind, um, and I mean that with a capital M <laughs> um, to these these experiences that were to come subsequently. That sort of brought all of this into focus um it was uh the, that nde was a powerful opening um it's sort of like there were ways in which it showed me where i was going um i didn't know that i couldn't have grasped that i mean if you said at that time this is where you're going to go this is what you're going to experience this is what you're going to do um i i, I would have been i just would have been baffled um but it was without question a very meaningful signpost uh, at the time indicating some things that were to come that I had no knowledge of it yet. Um, uh, it, it, took, it took a long time to sort of uh, to to be able to um, be here in what might otherwise look like a pretty ordinary life these, these days in many respects, but to be living that ordinary life in a way that, that really does encapsulate and embrace and embody the things that I'm talking about. Um, one of the things that is extraordinary about that allness is that it contains everything. And so it, it allows for what is the most divine and the most extraordinary and the most miraculous, but it also allows for putting your pants on one leg at a time <laughs> and having a cup of tea and mowing the lawn. And, uh, you know, um, it, there's, it encapsulates all of it. Uh, well, Jonathan, after watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you up for I, that? I'm very, I'm very up for it. I welcome it. I just <laughs> between you and I and everyone else on the planet, Jeff, at this point, and this is a little bit of a switcheroo for me because I've spent most of the last decade being extraordinarily quiet. But at this point, I don't believe I have anything better to be doing on the planet than things like you and I are doing right now. I really can't think of better things to be doing with my time. And I, I welcome it. What's the best way to reach you? 
Uh, the best way to reach me is via this little website called assistthespirit.com. And it's, uh, it's a website that was actually created by a dear friend of mine um, on my behalf. And uh, it's a place that people can, can reach out to me and write me a note and I, I will write back. Um, there's a handful of articles I've written, including the article about the NDE. It's actually the longest one. <laughs> um, and, uh, and a few other things like that. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really happy to engage uh, wherever it's possible to be helpful, frankly. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? There is absolutely nothing that I've spoken of today that is not within you. Uh, and that is good news. And uh, I, hope it, I hope it comes as such. It's, uh, it's going to be an interesting journey. And, uh, and because of all of this, the number one blessing I, I, I have for anyone anytime is uh, may the peace that passes all understanding find you. It will. Jonathan, thank you for that message. And thank you again for being my guest. It's been a great pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.